The Vimbari taught me, claim victory in your heart and the universe will follow. Fine, great. Claim victory in your heart and up your... <laughs> I like you. Your trouble. <laughs> well, thank you. It's the nicest thing anybody said about me in days. Zog? What do you mean, Zog? Zog what? Zog yes? Zog no? In many ways, we have the same problem Earth does. Mm. Earth doesn't have homeless... Excuse me? We don't have the problem. Yes, there are some displaced people here and there. But they've chosen to be in that position. They're either lazy or they're criminal or they're mentally unstable. They can't get a job. EarthGov has promised a job to anyone that wants one. So, if someone doesn't have a job, they must not want one. Uh, poverty? Hmm? It's the same. Crime? Yes, there is some, but it's all caused by the mentally unstable. And we've just instituted correctional centers to filter them out at an early age. Hmm. Prejudice? Hmm? No, we're just one happy planet. <laughs> well, all right, there's the Marzies, but that won't change until they stop fighting the Earth rule. And when exactly did all this happen? When we rewrote the dictionary. Some people just enjoy finding fault with our leaders. They're anarchists. They're troublemakers. Or they're simply just unpatriotic. None of which describes you. Now, do you want people thinking otherwise? I've wanted Santiago dead for so long. I wasn't sure we could really pull it off. You're sure it's done? Earth Force One will never return from Io. The power is now yours, Clark. Mr. President. Good luck, Captain. I think you're about to go where everyone has gone before. An ancient alien power is about to help Sheridan expose a deadly conspiracy on Earth. Maybe it's time we got their attention. Exciting, isn't it? On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Hey everybody, it's Scott. I actually am not on this episode this week because I was off on vacation, but I wanted to take a moment to thank you for joining us on this 50th episode of our Babylon 5 reviews. Now we've done more than 50 shows because we've had some great bonus content and interviews, but this is the 50th time that our team has sat down to talk about a Babylon 5 episode. That's a pretty big thing for us. But not only that, we're coming up on our one year anniversary we started recording these things with The Gathering back in June of 2022, and we released the first episode in July of 2022. So this next month is pretty big for us. And to celebrate that, we want to give something back to you. So we're going to be giving out a couple copies of Babylon 5, The Road Home, 
the brand new animated movie. And when I say copies, I don't mean digital. I mean actual honest-to-God Blu-ray discs. So if you want to get one of those discs, all you got to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this on our YouTube account already, your job is pretty simple. Just click that button. If you're listening to our podcast audio version, there's a link to our YouTube account down below. Follow that. Go subscribe. If you've already subscribed to our YouTube channel, thank you so much. You're already entered in. You're good to go. We are so, so excited to continue on this journey. We've still got over a year more to go to get through all of Babylon 5. And as you know, if you've already watched the show, we have some amazing episodes coming down the pipeline. And we've got a brand new movie coming out that we're absolutely going to be talking about. So again, thank you so much for making this year so wonderful for the entire team. And I hope that you are one of those folks who wins that B5 animated movie. Just make sure you hit that subscribe button. And in July, we'll be announcing the winners. Thanks again, and on with the show. Welcome back, everybody out there, to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. For those of you just joining us, we are a group of longtime fans of Babylon 5 who have watched this show probably more than we care to admit to. And we managed to get a group of our friends to watch along with us for the very first time. And we are going episode by episode, getting their reactions, as well as the thoughts of our first ones as we go through now into season three of Babylon 5. I am Blake, and with me tonight is... Jesse. Kevin. Justin. Mike. Emily. And Andrew. So before we jump into our synopsis and discussion for this evening, we've been sharing some reviews lately. And for those of you that are leaving us reviews, whether that be on Apple or your podcast app of choice, we do appreciate it, especially when you leave us five stars with your review. So for tonight's review, it comes from Sarah4953. And Sarah says, I stumbled across this podcast a few months ago. Babylon 5 has been my favorite show since I came across reruns as season four was airing when I was a teenager. It has been my comfort show ever since and started my love of science fiction. I do a rewatch every year, sometimes more than once. Rewatching it along with everyone and listening to the reaction of the newbies has been a lot of fun. And of course, the Beyond the Rim segments where us first ones can gloat is always fun. I don't always agree with the newbies' takes, and more often than not, I end up yelling about a favorite scene, episode, or storyline getting raked over the coals by one or more of them. But I'm looking forward to their reactions as they continue through the show. I'm glad they made it through some of the rough stuff and stuck with it. The fun is really about to begin with season three. Keep up the good work, everyone. Sarah, thank you for that review. And I really like, because we've talked about that some uh, with you all, because we have uh, some of you who were not sci-fi fans coming into this, and two in particular, Jesse, that would be you. And then uh, Nicole, who's unfortunately not with us tonight. I think we figured out why she's been shipping everybody in the galaxy. She is currently on a cruise. So maybe she was just thinking about boats and ships and that may have had something to do with it. Uh, Coincidentally, Scott is also on a cruise, but they assure us they are not on the same boat, but we have no proof of that. So any thoughts on that review, especially, you know, Jesse, you're new to sci-fi coming into B5 now that we're entering uh, season three and really getting towards where Sarah got into the show. Yeah, Sarah, um, it made me smile when you're reading it because it's amazing to hear how much people just truly love this show with a passion. And it, it absolutely has grown on me. And I wouldn't go so far to say that I'm a sci-fi fan yet, but, um, you know, I don't hate it. So, (laughs) 
there's that. I think that can sum up some of our very early episodes. We don't hate it, but we're not sure why we're here. <laughs> I think we made it past those hurdles, though. I, I think so. So we are here tonight to discuss Voices of Authority. And as we've long said, in season three, we were going to need to get extra tinfoil and red yarn. And I think tonight we might just need to get some of that ready. But we do have a synopsis first. Justin, what do you got for us? Yeah. So what had happened was... Um, Julie Massarde, the new political officer, arrives at Babylon 5, who unveils a new plan for peace, prosperity, and security, thanks to the wonderful and happy Clark regime. May he forever reign. Meanwhile, Ivanova and Cole embark on a, 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 a uh, embark to enlist the help of another first one, who turns out is Aku Aku from Crash Bandicoot. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Lastly, Jakar is becoming aware of something going on in Babylon 5 regarding to the Shadow War is, and is eager to join in and help because he thinks it may end up helping his people and scene. Now, Justin, I'm disappointed. In our group chat, you mentioned that you were excited by the chapter called Bedroom Politics. Mm -hmm. And not once in your synopsis did you mention Bedroom Politics. Oh, that was in my original draft. <laughs> I forgot to put that in the second one. Oh yeah, I meant to say something about that. Oh well, look, the first Trash. one I the first one I wrote I didn't like, so I rewrote it, and then I forgot to put bedroom politics back into it. I but I've got something to say about that during my first reactions, anyway. So we'll get there. Oh, I I have an idea, and I'm sure we're going to have that discussion at some point during this. So speaking of first impressions, let's go ahead and jump in. Andrew, you're up first tonight. Yeah. So I thought this was a pretty solid episode. Um, it feels like a lot has happened. A lot happened just in this episode, and some was officially revealed, like the share or uh, Santiago's assassination being an inside job. But I think we all knew that going in, um, and uh, a lot of political commentary that I personally think could uh, apply to all aspects of the political spectrum. All right, Emily. It was a good episode. There was a lot going on in it. I obviously did not like the blonde woman i don't even know her name was i didn't care to learn it i didn't like her but i was really i'm not even sure what the word was i think confused by this new group of first ones ancient ones whatever they are with like what looked like a wooden mask who obviously hate the vorlon and i'm really <laughs> curious as to why they hate the vorlons because that seemed um pretty intense. Her name is Julie Musante, which I will say, according to some of this back notes, she was actually named after a couple fans of the show. I'm not sure how they feel about that, uh, okay. given how that character went, but was apparently named after a couple fans. Jesse, I'm sure you've got some thoughts here. <laughs> uh, thoroughly enjoyed the episode. I absolutely, is, is this chick still alive? I would assume she is. Yeah, she's no longer assume, active, but she is still around. I would assume there's a chance at some point we'll talk to her. So I'll just say it now. I just thoroughly dislike her character. Didn't like it at all. And that seems to get us interviews. So <laughs> you're all welcome. <laughs> the episode was awesome. There was a lot packed into it. Really enjoyed the first ones and agree with Justin's assessment about Crash Bandicoot. Um, I thought the same exact thing. So I giggled when you said it. Yeah, we're just layering things on. And Ivanova had a great scene where she was talking to the first ones and Marcus was was underestimating her abilities. Um, it was good to see. It was just good to see the interaction between those two. And I, I liked it a lot. 
you know, there's that meme around Facebook of the guy sitting at the table with some statement and says, prove me wrong. I think what we need is just the picture of Jesse at the table. This character sucks. Prove me wrong. And then we can get him on for an interview to do so. <laughs> yes. All right, Justin, you've been you've been waiting for this moment. Oh, man, this was a I mean, yeah, this was a good one. I have a lot to say later on. But to try and keep it kind of short and sweet, really, I it's I'm I'm enjoying the um, the further development of the political crisis. Um, definitely at home, surrounding the Clark regime. You know, we finally get our proof, and just the way that things are just de evolving back in back in Earthdome. But then also the I, I'm very curious to see what other new. Um, first ones we get out there because I honestly didn't know what to expect uh, when they were going out searching for uh, the first ones. And I was actually quite, quite pleasantly surprised how different they were from ones that we have seen in the past. Like when the show, when the ship first showed up, I'm like, well, now who the fuck is this guy? You know, and stuff like that. So looking forward to seeing more of that and coming forward, but, you know, and then, you know, the, just I, I think I, even though I don't like her character, I thought she did pretty well with it. And I knew I recognized her from somewhere and I couldn't figure it out. So I do have to admit um, yeah. I did break the rules. Here we go. And I did Google her and discover that she was in some kind of Skinamax movies back in the early 90s. <laughs> and that's where I recognized her from. I was gonna so, say Playboy because she she is beautiful. I mean, she's yeah. she's a gorgeous actress, but she and she up. did that too. Yeah, yeah. Did so, she? Yeah, yeah, yep. And Justin's yep. extensive research on her. So thanks, you know. So yeah, I credit her for ruining some of my socks as a teenager. Oh, oh, wow. oh god! I'm just impressed you recognized her face. <laughs> right. <laughs> Realize she even had That's a weird. face. Good job. <laughs> Depending on what they were doing in some of those movies, uh, probably her back. Yeah. As soon as I see with Sheridan, I'm like, oh, I know you. Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to stop being disgusting. But great episode. Can't wait to get to dive into it in more detail. It, at least no ointments or creams were involved in your research of this episode. <laughs> right. Yep. Didn't get anything into my eye this time. <laughs> Mike, how about your first impressions after that? <laughs> She's going to give me a minute now. Uh, yeah. Um, this, is, this is a pretty decent episode. A lot happens for sure. And and yet I, I kind of come away from it feeling like it was a little bit of a slow one. Uh, like it's a building episode, not a lot of action. Right. But the, the plots are solid. Um, you know, the, the uh, I'm always happy to see Drawl uh, played by John Shuck. He's, he's always delightful. <laughs> and I love his interaction with Ivanova and, you know how he he's like cool oh, you're you're trouble i like you you know that's totally his his kind of character that part was fine uh you know as as much as i'm like the big space mystery guy with the first ones and going out the con- to contact them i actually thought that was the weaker part of the episode for me this week because i found myself so utterly repulsed by everything going on on the political side of things because of just how much it resembles today's day to day when i turned on the news and uh you know uh to her credit uh the actress sherry sherry shattuck does a really good job of playing a fox news correspondent in this episode and uh just being the character that you love to hate she's actually a really good actress in this and plays the part to a t 
and uh you know and again it's very interesting and it resonates and um kind of drew my focus the rest of the episode so overall um solid it's a solid episode and kevin yeah definitely a solid episode um i had forgotten how good this one is i mean there's there's really great comedy intermixed with you know how heavy a story this is um quite a few of the lines that uh ivanova has in this episode are pretty funny and you know a couple that the drawl has etc but um yeah you know the the masante character is is very very intelligent very sly the building of the night watch storyline with now kind of dropping the hammer and coming in with okay now you've all been here now you've all been part of this organization now the hammer's dropping now the work starts and not so subtle intimation that if you are not going to go along with this well you're a traitor like all these other people so guess what you're going to do what we say it's uh it's pretty dystopian and i kind of recognize it so you know this is this is why science fiction is so great because it can it can mirror uh you know real life and sometimes that's uncomfortable and it's supposed to be and as good as this episode is and some of the relationship building that it does, um, you know, especially with Zach's character um, coming coming a little bit more to the forefront and Marcus, uh, it's uh, it's a fantastic episode. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's a great episode. It really starts to get into what is going to be the, our main story for season three and sets some stuff up nicely, especially after we've had a couple bottle episodes. I also like that Ivanova gets out more and we're starting to see Ivanova have things to do rather than just stand in command and control. You know, Scott's mentioned the P5 rating that they've done. This one is actually rated an 8.2. So it, it is up there on the popularity scale as well. And, and those of you that have mentioned the comedy aspects, you're right. It's got those comedy pieces. It's got the serious pieces, but it still has these undertones for the political environment that as a lot of you mentioned, very much resonates still today. So overall, I think this is a very well done episode. So let's jump into our discussion. And who wants to kick us off with discussion topics? Because we, we've got finding the first ones. We have bedroom politics. We have Jakar trying to be helpful. So plenty of places we can jump in. And I'll talk at once. <laughs> yeah, everybody at once. <laughs> I was just waiting to see what was going to be brought up first, but I mean, I guess I can start. I guess we'll get to the meaty one, the Night Watch. So one thing I was kind of observing over the course of the episode, and I think I had said in past episodes that one of my past predictions or questions or something was like that was going to be, what was Zach's role going to be going forward? And I I, I have to say I'm kind of disappointed, to be honest. Um, I, I really thought I was, I thought, I really thought we were going to start to see Zach maybe turn against the Night Watch and maybe even start spying on the Night Watch for B5. But the way that this episode kind of transpired, and I don't know, maybe it can change going forward, but it just seems like that um, Zach's kind of on the opposite side of things. Like he doesn't necessarily like what he's seeing with Night Watch, but he really doesn't like what he's seeing on Babylon 5 either. So right now, it just seems like he's a lot more loyal to Nightwatch than he is to B5 at the moment. And like I said, I was just really disappointed by that because I was hoping to see something kind of different out of the character. Jesse? You know, honestly, when Zach and uh, Garibaldi were having the conversation about you don't trust me, 
um, you know, after he left that conversation, it looked like he was about to bust some shit out to what's her name, Julie. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I just like, I really hope that he does abandon Nightwatch. And I think he will because he's a great character and he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's, I enjoy his character and I can't see him being, being that person. Like he's had a hard time with Nightwatch since the beginning. So I'm kind of, I'm just waiting for him to do the right thing and, you know, abandon ship. So I'm hoping that happens. And that's definitely some of uh, JMS even commented on that. Zach is kind of stuck in that middle uh, between Nightwatch and B5 and trying to figure it all out, especially because, I mean, from his perspective, both sides are keeping secrets from him at this point, right? Yeah. You know, he's seeing all those pieces, but kind of the part mentioned where we have that meeting is even some of the others in that room looked uncomfortable with what Masanti was saying. Um, I think, Justin, you kind of hit on it. This is where some of the weeding out starts. But another point to bring up from JMS uh, referring to this episode is you don't even have to go back fully to World War II, even though those parallels are there. He brought up even thinking about McCarthy in some of the Nightwatch protocols. Uh, so, Justin, back to you. Yeah, that's actually one thing that I had noticed early on is, you know, it's they're very much creating that you're either with us or against us type mentality, which you even saw that starting at the beginning with some of the Nightwatch stuff. Really, it's it's black and white laid down now. If any of you ever criticize anything about the government, you're going to get, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. You're going to get fined. You're going to get punished. I would assume in prison, or maybe you just disappear. I don't know what the actual penalties for that are. But then even like stuff they overhear is just, oh, we'll just write it down and send it on to us and we'll take care of it. So now they're basically being told, if you hear anything critical of the Clark government, you are to report it, regardless of who it is, where it's coming from, turn on each other, turn each other in stuff like that. So, you know, and and I and I made a notice of the po- the propaganda posters that were in the background during that entire scene as well. It's just very, you know, very interesting, very reminiscent of just a lot of stuff from not a, you know, not only World War II, but like Blake said McCarthyism, you know, loose lips sink ships and stuff like that kind of like political propaganda that we used to see back in the day. Here's here's one thing that I kind of was thinking about with Clark. And I'm kind of interested about to hear other people's reactions. Even with the video, because during my notes watching the episode, I wrote this down. But even the video at the end didn't even really change my opinion a whole lot. I am not 100% sure Clark is the center of this whole thing. I go back and forth on it. I don't think he's the center. I think he's a pawn. And that's one thing I was wondering if he's... If he's a puppet being controlled by either Psychor or BR13, which we haven't heard from in a while. So and that's another thing that I kind of made note of too. But I I don't think Clark's the actual like mastermind behind this entire thing at all. So I was kind of curious uh what other people thought. Because like dictators, dictators love to be on center stage. And the fact that we don't really see or hear anything from Clark hardly at all, and it's all coming through bureaucracy cronies, makes me think he's not in control of this thing at all. So, Andrew? Just to kind of, um, I guess, build off of what Justin was saying, because I was also going to point out uh, a lot of the posters that were going on that, or that were up during the meeting, like the the Ever Vigilant Night Watch. Uh, to me, it kind of reminded me of an old uh, communist propaganda uh, poster, kind of like a like what you might see like with like Che Guevara's face on it 
going back to the also the video of Clark basically confessing his involvement. Uh, do we see like who he was talking to in the video? No, okay. just, I, no, I think it was it sounded like to me Bester's voice though. I didn't think yeah, it sounded like Bester. I couldn't I tell it, like who's well, I couldn't tell like whose whose voice it was, but uh to me it kind of sounded more like he he could have been maybe putting out the hit on him. Uh so I guess I would say that uh he was the centerpiece in the whole uh, assassination plot. But yeah, I don't I I watched the episode twice and both times to me it sounds like Bester, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So this is what I was saying about the way that Nightwatch is doing this is that they're, you know, they they get everyone sucked in and then they pull the rug out and say, this is the way it's going to be. And you need to start looking out for, you know, all the traitors. And if you're not part of this, then you're against us type of a thing. And this this goes back to just starting starting small and paying for it you know, paying them all to do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they just twist the knife, turn the screws and it just turns into something completely different. And, you know, JMS did this on purpose, you know, like you mentioned the, the Nazi Germany aspect, that's, you know, those parallels are definitely there. There's others for, for sure, because this is a, an age old type thing, you know, the last couple of centuries, but you know, the, the Nazi Germany ones, which is it's, you know, JMS meant that purposefully, uh, they really come out the Zach character. Now that he's, now that he's fully in this, it'll be interesting to see, you know, which way he goes because there, there definitely is a decision to make, but what's, what's really great about JMS's writing is, you know, he, he had an office on set. So, you know, he talked to the actors more than some other, you know, uh, writers, showrunners. And so some of those, you know, actors had, uh, you know, some some conversations with him about how they saw a character going. And sometimes he took those into account. And the funny story about the the whole coat thing is that, you know, he and Boxleitner would talk about how poorly those things fit and how there was no way to wear that without looking fat, even if you weren't. And I guess one of the writers must have, you know, heard them uh talking about it and it made its way into the show it just as a little you know funny part of it the the zach character is becoming a little bit more of a, a focus and becoming part of the company and i really like that because the the actor does a fantastic job with it so one i'm going to touch on the poster because that came up uh that actually used a silhouette very reminiscent of one that stalin used in world war ii it was intentionally designed that way and I am going to say one thing about the voice on the Clark video. Listen to the exact wording of what Clark says, and then think about who the other voice might be. Emily. Okay. Well, so a few things. Um, since Kevin brought up the jacket, when they started criticizing Zach for his uh, jacket not fitting, all I could think of was, oh, he needs Garrick. And for those who don't know, Garrick is merely a simple Cardassian tailor on DS9, or a spy, or both. But yeah, the switch in Nightwatch from now we're going to temporarily um, suspend like rights and rules, I feel it should be a big wake up call to some of the people in the group. But back to Justin's point about Clark not being the mastermind, the way he seemed unsure about the assassination actually taking place and being set in motion made me think he isn't like 
the mastermind behind it. He's wanted it. We know he's wanted, he wanted it. Um, but he's probably been put into that position because other people are doing the work for him. Um, and I thought the voice sounded closer to Morden. Like something about it didn't sound quite exactly like Morden, but I was trying to figure out if because the video, it was a little bit garbled, if they were trying to hide the voice so it wasn't immediately apparent who it was, but that's who it reminded me of. Absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. Sorry, Justin. I absolutely believe that that was Morden because why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't he? Because we saw him on Earth a couple episodes ago. So why wouldn't he be doing the president's bidding or the vice president's bidding? What does Morden ask all of the ambassadors on Babylon 5? What do you you and what do you want? What was the first? And in the video, Clark says, I've wanted him dead for so long. Mm-hmm. That's the tell. Ding ding ding. Uh, ding 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 ding. See, I guess the way I okay, so the I guess Lord. the way that the the way that it sounded to me like the way he said Io and just the way different words were pronounced, mm-hmm. it sounded like Walter Koenig to me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Voice so voice. I guess I I guess Definitely that's why I thought it the was dulcet Master, tones right? of Ed Wasser as Mr. Okay. Damn, I missed so, that. So Justin, you've got your hands up. What you got? Yeah. That dinner scene, yeah. So, yeah, that entire, yeah, that that was a thing that happened, <laughs> and you know, I was just infuriated that entire scene, going down, scribbling over a page of notes, just in like you know, and it's just common. Oh no, Earth doesn't have a homeless problem, you know. Oh, Earth doesn't have a jobless problem. It's all their fault. They're the ones that make this choice. All this thing about, oh, no, no, racial, racial, you know, prejudice, bigotry, that's all gone. You know, we're just one big happy planet. And the telling line to me was when Sheridan asked, Mm -hmm. well, when did this all change? And she looks at him like stone cold bitch in the eyes and says, when we rewrote the dictionary. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I thought was like exactly brilliant on how these totalitarian regimes take control and 100% change the narrative because mm-hmm. even she even admits all you have to do to protect your leaders is just kind of redefine exactly what the problem is. And then you can take the pressure off the leaders so that they look good. And then, oh, they cured all of these social ills. Yeah, they know they're there and they're going to work on it the best way they can. Cough, cough, re-education centers like she had admitted to. Then at the end of the day, Oh, the the uh, leaders look good and everything is great and happy. It's the it's the same same thing that they tell they tell in a lot of dictatorships. Oh, but aren't you just the people are just so happy and they love the leader. You could really you know watch part of that scene and think, okay, is she just completely brainwashed? Not really in the know. You know, could, is she kind of dumb? Like, is she just you know really uh, naive? And then she hits you over the head and tells you in that very same second, nope, she knows exactly what she's doing. She's very intelligent and she's completely part of it. Reminds me of somebody, a certain somebody named Sarah. Yeah. Well, and some of governor, <laughs> some of the commentary that JMS put out there was one of the inspirations for some of this was Pat Buchanan who was, I mean, quite frankly, the godfather of what would become Trump's MAGA nationals. I mean, 
Buchanan spun the big lie stories before the big lie was a thing. And I mean, so you you listen to that line about you redefine the problem. That's absolutely the big lie tactics. You say it with enough conviction. I mean, how many people sit there and with conviction say that the 2020 election was stolen or somehow rigged with no basis, but they believe it just because that's what's been so enforced? Yeah, they've been doing that for decades, though. And it's not, you know, in American politics, it's not completely confined to one political party either, because how many times have they completely redefined what it means to be unemployed Mm -hmm. just to make the numbers better? Yep. Jesse. So how many times have you seen somebody on the on the corner with a sign that says whatever, whatever you want to add there, right? Need a job, can't find work. God bless you. Stuff like that. And somebody says, oh, why don't they just get a job? Not looking at the layers of shit that is mm-hmm. it is to be that person standing out there in the corner asking for money. If it was so simple as for them to get a job, they would have to deal with the fact that they can't fill out an application and, and give a phone number because they don't have a phone or they can't go into an interview because they're stinky and they haven't showered for mm-hmm. you know a week or they're a drug addict or like mentally ill, like there's so many different layers to that. And people absolutely redefine that whole person by just saying, well, they just need to get a job. Like literally name them lazy and just call it a day. So it's, it, you know, it it was really kind of strange watching this, not strange. I should be used to this, but you know, everything 30 some years ago is just super freaking relevant right now. Well, then you get another layer in there too. I mean, talking about redefining is how many times have we seen it where someone goes into a store, you know, they are either dressed nice or have a cell phone and pull out a, you know, food stamp card. And then mm-hmm. the person inevitably, be- inevitably behind them, well, by God, if you can have that phone, why do you need that? Yeah. Like, well, how's, how else is this per- person supposed to make phone calls about getting a job or did they just come from an interview? You know, then well, you get this idea right. that people who are in need or are struggling should meet this, you know, model in your head that you have them look at it it's kind of a vicious cycle of it yeah never mind or the maybe... fact that we don't have a living wage for every type of job either so right exactly and maybe i had that phone and that purse before i lost my job yeah. and what do you want me to do give away all my good shit like i you know it absolutely drives me nuts to say to hear people say that and first of all why are you even watching how they're paying for their groceries anyway like stop paying attention to other people it doesn't concern you Mm -hmm. and you know and it's it's always that well if you can afford an iphone or if you can afford a you know fuck if you can afford a louis vuitton you know maybe there was one time in my life that i could and now all my shit's gone and what there's one nice thing i have left so fuck off i will keep my purse spent a lot of money on it it's not an official episode of Grey 17 until Jesse has told somebody to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my go-to. Get fucked. <laughs> so I think we've talked about the Night Watch, unless we've got anything else to add there. Uh, Justin, would you like to discuss any, or Emily even, would either of you like to discuss the numerous HR violations that were that little visit to Sheridan's quarters? <sighs> I wanted someone, actually, I just wanted her him to like drag her out and just toss her at the airlock like just stop being skanky put your fucking clothes on you're a sexual harassment violation you're a walking hr violation (laughs) just and i knew as soon as she showed up i'm like uh they're gonna try to put a pretty face on some evil fucking bullshit 
this is what they're gonna do yeah like like the lock code was really fucked up and not you know right. not a complete ruse to get into sheridan's quarters yeah. it was just gross and desperate yeah. and, and she could have easily given zach a little bit of uh you know attention and he would have let her right in there it wouldn't have been an issue <laughs> Well, and you know who's who's to say how Sheridan would have handled it, you know, if if Ivanova hadn't shown up. But he pretty much was like, "Well, crap, I got nothing else, you know. I might as well get her get her distracted for a second so that Ivanova can disappear again." But that's that's why that Ivanova line. I think you're about to go where everyone has gone before is so <laughs> yes. hilarious. Yeah, another little Star Trek dig that they get in there too. You know, J- JMS mentioned this. He's like, I don't know if I was on cold medication when I wrote that episode <laughs> and a couple others, because every he says every once in a while he has an episode that just he he just brings the funny for the entire episode. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those. And you know, there's some heavier subjects in in this, and you know, spoiler, there's more to come. But this this one is just full of hilarious lines. Justin. But that's one thing I like about this episode, where you can take a, a pretty dark and heavy subject matter and make a lot of good comedy out of it, to me, is you know definitely something that I really appreciate. And then just going back to, um, kind of going back to something that was alluded to earlier, I'm watching the show on DVD. You know, I pop a DVD into my Xbox One, and when I hit a particular episode... Then it brings up about six different screens with different chapters throughout the episode. One of them I immediately noticed was called Bedroom Politics. So I get on our little chat and I'm like, oh, I, I, I personally am excited for this part of the episode. And it was definitely exactly what I expected it to be. Um, but even like the crazy thing that I like watching that scene is even relating back to the to the title on that particular chapter. And then even when she even said when she presented herself naked in front of Sheridan is, well, we just all have to do our part. Like this is to her part of her job almost to, to, to some degree. I wonder we're like, Oh, this is how I'm going to get him on my good side and get him to do what I want. And that leads to my other question. Did she do the same thing to Zach? Yeah. Because I'll, I'll be honest. Earlier in the episode, earlier in the episode, when he showed her his quarters, and then she just looks at him and says, are you coming? And he goes inside and then later in the episode, after she the scene with Sheridan, he walks up to her and is almost like, hey, baby, how you doing? And she's like looking at him like, what do you want? Almost like if something happened and he and they're treating it like two different kind of things. Like that's one thing that kind of what I was wondering about is if that's kind of how she builds loyalty is through, you know, extremely unprofessional actions like that. The JMS did address that one and said, no, she she did not seduce Zach because that, that was not the power dynamic there. Gotcha. Emily? I'm just wondering how much loyalty you can expect from someone who would fall for that bullshit. Like, if they're that easy to manipulate, I mean, then they're that easy to manipulate so they could be easily manipulated by someone else, too. So I just, I don't, I don't understand why it would be believed to be effective especially for him like he's not like that and besides that dylan might step in and have something to say if she found out <laughs> girl now that could be fun watching uh dylan whoop the uh nazi's ass in the jello wrestling match <laughs> here we go again <laughs> the new version of the muay thai tko part two right 
from just the description, it sounds like uh, that actress might have already been in a movie like that. But <laughs> just remembers it well. I may have ordered it on Amazon already. Oh God! Oh, damn it! Okay. I'm just kidding. No, you're not. <laughs> it's for free. I am because it's for free online. Oh my God! Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I'm just I just kidding. I. I don't think that Sheridan was buying. Well, we know that Sheridan wasn't buying that shit, but Sheridan wasn't buying that shit from the second she walked in the door. He's like, who the fuck are you? And like, literally he was like, Zach, take a walk. And like, I thought he was gonna, I mean, he did go in, but he did it very classy and um, captain like. So I, I don't think he was, he, you know, wasn't buying that shit from the second she walked onto that station. Yeah, her acting all innocent, you know, during that particular scene, the first scene where he, he's he's talking to her and, her, oh, don't kill the messenger. I'm just the messenger. Right. Fuck oh, it's just like she yeah. played that very well. Very, very well. Mm-hmm. And her, she's just sly. Like even like the whole yeah. thing with like, you know, the military's job is to dictate current, you know, or to or to follow current current government government policy and then she goes oh unless there's a coup that i don't know about right you know and you can kind of wonder if you know the lump in the throat you know sheridan's throat how bad that got when she made that comment so now that we've talked about our favorite fox news personality and all that's up with the night watch we mentioned ivanova popped up in sheridan's quarters at possibly the most inopportune time (laughs) so let's talk about ivanova and going down to Epsilon 3 to plug into the great machine, shall we? So that also gives us drawl and the search for the first ones, which may have given people screaming willies, apparently. <laughs> Justin. Well, my whole thought with that is, especially in the beginning where um, where she goes in the machine, right, and she sees, uses it to kind of track down all of, you know, the first ones, and then she sees the shadows, and they obviously know, like, she, she's marked now. Like, they've seen her. They know who she is. So I'm kind of wondering how that's going to affect Ivanova going forward. Uh, But then um, when she sees the Clark recording, and I kind of wrote down, you know, a big duh in my notebook because he pulls her out of the machine and says, well, regular humans not supposed to be able to do that. Well, duh, she's not a regular human. Mm -hmm. You know, her mom, her mom was a telepath. And everything like that. So it wouldn't shock me if she's got some extended abilities, even though she's never displayed them really on the show. She does, maybe, though. But I guess kind we've... of I guess kind of more of an empath sense that she does. But I thought that, you know, that was that was really kind of intriguing with me. The fact that she was even in the machine in the first place, that really you can almost just pop anybody in there and have them kind of see what you want to see. And the fact that draw can just record it. Yeah, that's one thing that I thought was interesting, too. That's like, okay, so he can just record anything anybody sees. We'll just have everybody take turns and see what you got. Then the uh, the whole scene with Cole. And I know that they were trying to kind of make him a little bit more of a comic character um, on the White Star. But I feel there's some tension going on uh, between Ivanova and Cole that I don't know if that will ever get addressed uh, later on. But then, yeah, the first ones, man. I, I as soon as that that popped out, I'm like, there's no way that because Crash Bandicoot was a very popular game around that time frame, too. And I said, oh, my God, that's Aku Aku. And I just was busting out laughing hysterically. Like, I absolutely thought that was awesome. But that's so, early so, stuff for me with that. 
Are you filling in for the shipping while Nicole's off on a ship? I feel like somebody has to, you know, so, so, you know, so I might as well, you know, I did forget to say something very important though, if I am taking over for Nicole and is that is saying that Ivanova and Nicole are going to smash. There, there we go. We have an official smashing declared. Yeah. Andrew, what have you got? Oh, hold on just a second. Oh. What, what's his name? Marcus Cole. Oh, okay. See, don't you let me spend the next five episodes calling this dude Marcus if his name's Cole. So, okay. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, it is Marcus I Cole is his full name. Yeah. Okay. And you're just, you're and you're perfectly welcome to use either name. Cole's just, just the one making, I typically use. Yep. No, we're good. Just making sure. I don't want you guys fucking let me do weird shit for the next. <laughs> but, but we love it when you all do weird shit because then we hear from the fans nonstop for months. Andrew. Yeah. So uh, that opening scene for the episode uh, when Drawl comes back and uh, kind of going back to the Screaming Willies line. I couldn't n- help but notice, I don't know if anyone else caught it, when he says that Mira Ferlin kind of looked like she was trying to, like, hide a laugh, where, like, like she kind of, like, started to smile a little bit, but then, like, just kind of, like, like readjusted herself in her seat, and, uh, like, her, I kind of, like, like touched her face a little bit, and, and then she was, like, back in character. I, I don't know if that was, uh, like, intentional or, like, just trying to hide a laugh, but uh, that was just something that I uh, kind of took note of. Yeah, I, I can see that being an attempt to hide a laugh because there there have been some decent gag reels released uh, from this season, particularly with different things. Plus, uh, draw was some people speculated that draw was not actually in the room; they, that it was a uh, CGI overlay uh, with uh, John Chuck in there. And no, he was actually in the room. They did it with uh, a double camera shot and phased and faded him in, so he was actually in that room doing that live with the rest of them. Uh, so I could easily see that uh, being the case with that. So clearly when the White Star went and found the first ones, they weren't exactly happy to hear the name of the Vorlons. Anyone have thoughts on the first ones and why they may hate the Vorlons? Did they skip out on the dinner check, leave them at the altar? Emily? One of the things I've been wondering about for a while now is, are the Vorlons the good guys? Because they've done some pretty questionable things. And I'm just wondering how much shit they fucked up throughout, you know, the universe. And um, maybe they're not the best group of beings out there. <laughs> it, I just, I have a lot of questions about why the sh- they're even fighting with the shadows. Because we still don't have an explanation as to why. Um, we still don't know how they didn't really defeat, but they stopped the shadows the last go around. Um, and with some of the stuff the Borlons have done, it really makes me question their ethics, shall we say. So yeah, I would really like to know what exactly they did to piss off this new group. Justin. Honestly, Emily, you're not alone in that question because I found myself starting to question it my, a little bit about... How do we know that the Vorlons are the good guys, or are they just the good guys because they told us they were the good guys? Are the rest of the races being gaslit? Who knows? I'm I'm kind of curious. They eventually find out how many. What was it? Ivana said something about what one down, like two thousand or a thousand to go, or something like that. But how many actual races are first one races are out there? You know, are there a ton of them? Because the way that it kind of made it sound from past episodes when the first ones were discussed is there may, there may not have been a whole ton of them out there or are, are there thousands and thousands of first one races and how many of them are still around? I thought 
you know, originally we were told um, in the show that they all kind of left and left the galaxy after the last shadow war and the Vorlons were really the only ones left behind. Well, now they're, well, now that we're finding out that some of them have kind of hung around, some of them are, you know, speculated that they may be, you know, just went subterranean or just asleep underground until they're needed again. So, you know, they may, there may be more first ones around than just the Vorlons. And yeah, about the fact that the violent, um, I don't even know what we call them. I'm still going to call them Aku Aku. But even when Aku Aku shows up and is his, his, his reaction to the Vorlons, it was almost like Tasha's reaction when, when he was asked, what do you want? You know, and he snapped and said, don't ever ask me that question. It was the same kind of reaction. So there's definitely some bad blood and animosity between some of these first one races. And I'm kind of curious to see how it all pans out too. I, I, I'm excited. This is more of the stuff that I wanted. I wanted to see some more. I want to see more Vorlons. Like, what are we going to get that? Let alone additional first one races. Mike. So I might be venturing a little bit into beyond the rim territory. So I'm going to phrase this as a, as a question to the rest of the group. And then we can don't, don't pull, don't pull a Blake Scott or Kevin. No, no, no. no. Then I'm going to phrase it as a question to gather opinions. And then the rest, the three of us can talk about it later. Um, The name first ones implies a certain order, but given what you've seen and, and kind of what we know about the timeline and the whole Babylon five series, who, who came first, the first ones or the Vorlons. I'm going to add a third part. The shadows, the Vorlons are the first ones. It was implied like the shadows were first, or they were like, well, they were before the ancient ones, and it sounded like the ancient ones and the first ones were kind of the same. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would agree. I would think probably the shadows came first, because even, I, what is it, Delenn said something about the shadows have been around for like billions of years, Yeah, and then and then over the course of millions of years, the first ones in the shadows have been fighting with the most recent war being about a thousand years ago. I know what humanity was doing back in the 1620s, but I'm kind of curious to hear what the others were doing and why they decided after this particular war to leave after fighting them for millions of years. Like, yeah, I think though it was the shadows first and then, and then the first ones. And then I don't know what particular order that they came in. They may have just all been existing I think the Vorlons are just one of the first order races. I don't think that they particularly came before or after anything else. And by the way, the uh, JMS said the sentence from the uh, what they in this episode call the Walkers, which was the first ones, uh, translates loosely to the Vorlons can kiss my ass. <laughs> oh, okay, the Walkers. That's so they did name them because that was something I was going to bring up too. Yeah, they said that uh, JMS said that the actual name is something like 15,000 letters long and is the actual code they sent. Uh, so what they call them in the episode is just the uh, walkers. Okay. Okay. I must have missed I that. Must have missed that. Yeah. Because I, 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 I was going to bring up that at the end when they disappear, they're like, come back here and say our name and we'll be ready. And then I was like, you know, it's like classic thing where they disappear. And then Ivana was like, shit, I forgot to ask their name. <laughs> so we've talked about the first ones and going to find them, but. Let's touch on Jakar and Garibaldi, um, because Jakar does some investigations in this, and I, I see Andrew shoots his hand up, so let's go to Andrew. Yeah, so end of the episode, why couldn't Jakar just show Garibaldi the important parts about the Shadows instead of giving him a whole long-ass book written entirely in Narn? We will discuss that beyond the rim, actually. God damn it. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Good question, though. We'll just talk about it when you can't be here. Okay. Jesse. They're pissing me off how they're keeping him out of the loop. Like, I'm I'm tired of them treating Jakar like they are. <laughs> and I never thought I was going to say that. But it's it's seriously it's pissing me off because all he wants to do is be a part of everything and help everything. And I mean, you you took him from an ambassador to a citizen and you, you're you being weird to him. And I don't like it. And like he's trying to help and everybody keeps pushing him out. It's it's irritating the shit out of me. I don't like that. Those scenes, because it makes me feel bad for him. I think I think it's safe to say at this point, Jakar's story at this point is definitely part of a arc that you could describe somewhat as redemption uh, from the Jakar we saw in season one. Right. And the other characters, while sympathetic to him, I think there's still a question of do they trust his motives at this point? Right. I mean, he 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 was coming from kind of a dark place. You know, everyone everyone thought, oh, yeah, he's he's the villain. Londo's not so bad. And. You know, they're they're kind of turning that on its ear a little bit here. But, you know, they're they're keeping, you know, a lot of people out of that room. There's only mm-hmm. a few of them in there. And there's only one other ambassador that, you know, Sheridan knows he can trust. And and like Blake said, they're not really sure how much they can trust Jakar. You know, he's he's gone from, you know, being a, a, a pretty, pretty shady character a couple of times and yeah, he's he's thrown his his hat in the ring and and been a pretty good guy a couple of times too. But you know, he also has his own motives, you know, to help his people, mm-hmm. and that might that might ultimately be one one of the things that would you know keep him out of the room would be well, you know, his his first thing is going to be for for his people, and they're in a pretty bad way. So you know, it uh, I, I'm sure it's going to progress. And you'll, you, this, this won't go away. Dustin. Yeah. I guess I just kind of agree that um, I can definitely see where Jesse's coming from about, because even Delin acted really weird towards him in the market when he just came up and mm-hmm. said hi. And, and then she almost wanted to pretend like she didn't know him. Right. Um, so I can kind of understand where that's coming from, but um, I still don't hundred percent know if I can trust Jakar's motives either. And because he's he's in that mode of desperation. And I think maybe that's I think while, you know, and I'll, while he will eventually, I think, be brought in to the circle. Um, I I think may probably, I guess, in my opinion, the reason why he hasn't yet is because he he's even being very vocal about, well, if we're going to be gathering forces, then we need to use that to help my people. And I think he's just thinking mainly about his people instead of helping everyone. So I think maybe that might be part of the reason why he's not being included yet. So Brooke, before I go to Emily, I did think of a way I could answer Andrew's question about why didn't just point to the important section. Because what he gave him was the book of Jaquan, right? He gave him his holy book. That that much we know. We've seen that. Can right. someone a Bible point to one who's never read it in a language they've never seen, say, read this one particular verse and tell me its significance? Without reading in, without reading any of the surrounding or other context from the entire rest of the book, that's why Jakar gave him the whole book. Beautiful, told him to, and absolutely, and told him to, to learn how to read Narn. Yep, because <laughs> we ain't, because by God, we're not translating that shit. By golly, there are all kinds of people that do exactly that, though, Lake. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean? The King James version is not the same as the New International Version because they rewrote a few verses. <laughs> For those of you that have complaints, our email is in the show notes below. Feel free to send them on over to us. Emily. Um, 
so I actually had a thought about why Jakar did that. Um, because if he's asking Garibaldi to learn Narn, how is Garibaldi going to do it? Won't he need to ask for help? Who's he likely going to ask for help? He'll go back to Jakar so they can discuss it. And that um, forces some sort of interaction to build a better like working relationship with because he is now out of the circle. And I felt like, I feel like it's kind of his way to find a way back in somehow. And he knows, you know, Garibaldi and Londo are on the outs because Londo turned into an evil piece of shit. So it seemed like, it seems like a way to try to get back in and be able to talk to him about stuff. So we'll see if that works, I guess, if Garibaldi actually takes the time to learn it. Do you mean to tell me that with all the technology on Babylon 5, they don't have their version of Duolingo? Oh, they probably do, but it doesn't mean it'll work that great. Right. They're still running a uh, copy of Rosetta Stone from Windows 95. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, okay. go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I have, I guess, two two perspectives on the whole Jakar thing. Um, one, kind of to, to trail on Emily's point is, you know, Jakar has, for sadly, nothing better to do now. He's been pushed pushed aside. And so he's finding out that, you know, you referred to it as, as he's out of the circle. And I think that's kind of right, I guess. Like, I kind of see where you're coming from because they used to be the small council, right? The, the five the five big races. And, and then uh, what he's now observing, right? Because that's what he's doing. He's just lurking in hallways and observing. Is he's found out that there is a small circle that he's been pushed out of. But he has to know that so has Londo. So there's this even smaller console that's formed between, you know, the humans and the Minbari and the Vorlons, uh, if Kosh ever decides to come out of his room and join them. And so he's kind of, he's got to be looking across the way like, well, they don't want Londo because he's a piece of shit, but they also don't want me. Huh. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, so I think maybe there's there's that part of it where he's kind of looking at himself in reflection now and wondering, like, well, shit, like, am I the bad guy? <laughs> like, did they think that I'm the bad guy? Why am I out of the circle? The other side of it really, unfortunately, practically probably comes down to the fact that they don't want the Narn because the Narn can't help them. The Narn have nothing left to, to bring to the table to that to that effort. So why? risk exposing the secret exposing the mission on on an asset that isn't gonna lend itself that much to the cause potentially i mean it's a it's a sad very pragmatic view i had a quick tidbit about the the narn language um the reason that duolingo wouldn't work is because they actually made a a production mistake on babylon 5 in one scene they have jakar writing left to right and then later in that season, they show him writing right to left. So they couldn't even make a decision on how the how the Narn language went at one point on the show. Um, but it's just a funny little tidbit. Nah, that's easy. You just retcon that. And you, yeah. You write one direction if you're talking about, uh, you know, male pronouns and the other way a female or something. <laughs> I suppose. It's <laughs> the old dare D and Das in German. So do we have anything else today that we want to discuss about Voices of Authority before we jump into questions and predictions from our newbies so that Mike, Kevin, and I can go to the favorite place of the newbies, 
beyond the rim and discuss everything they're not allowed to know for another two years, which Jesse's flipping us off and Andrew's making a hand motion similar to Justin watching some 90 Skinamax. <laughs> I thought the first ones reminded me of the Rock Lords. If you know, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's jump over to questions and predictions and let's start off with Emily. Um, Mostly I just have questions about... What is the root cause of all this? Like, why are we here? Why is there fighting? Why is there this war going on? Why does it keep coming back? How did they end it the last time? There's just, a, I have a lot more questions about that than, you know, if Zach's going to turn out to be shitty as well. Andrew, questions and predictions. Yeah, so uh, two questions. The first one, uh, how many first ones will uh, end up helping in this coming war? Uh, and the other question, will we see Julie or any other political officer uh, trying to come on board to Babylon 5? Fucking hold uh, Prediction, Zach will completely align himself with Nightwatch, uh, potentially as part of a redemption arc. I see you shaking your head. So, Jesse, let's go to you. Yeah, I'm going to make the opposite and just hope that I'm you're wrong and I'm not. Um, I hope that he he abandons ship and and, you know, realizes how shitty they are i have a question redemption arc is redemption arc can you as as part of a redemption arc like he he becomes part of night watch like completely but then after that realizing Mm. like realizing how bad they are got it all in then and then abandon ship gotcha the the way you worded it made me think you were also rooting for the nazis so right (laughs) no his redemption arc he'll go all in on night watch (laughs) no world this is okay he was a nazi but it's fine because he helped us build rockets to get to space no um yeah i was going to give examples of redemption arcs and pretty much all of them were going to be sci-fi so i'll shut up Gray 17 does not condone or sympathize with the actions of the nazis (laughs) (laughs) that might just be our clip for this episode (laughs) or republicans Um, so i watched the episode with Lita and the the neck vents again, and I have some questions. Is she pregnant by a Vorlon? Like, are they going to have a Vorlon baby, and that's why she's got neck vents? I the the looks from the first ones are I'm enjoying this at this point. That's fine. Go and make fun of me, but like I I don't understand. Like he was like sucking her soul into she's his suit. counter suit. <laughs> yes, like did. Was there a sex scene that we just watched? I don't know what's happening, but it's creeping me out. And like now I can't stop thinking about a baby Vorlon. Like I can't stop thinking about what a telepath and a baby Vorlon look like. Okay. Um, what else do I have? <laughs> I think like the Vorlon baby is gonna be the new space Jesus. No, this is from the He's last episode. Save us from our sins. Yes. The space Jesus is going to help us all. I no, Andrew. This is not from this episode. Clearly, I said I went back and watched the other one. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I didn't hear that no, part. Sorry. I just I I don't know if I like missed that whole freaking part last time we watched. I watched it, but like I'm like, what is happening with her soul right now? And now she's got neck vents, and I don't know why. So the only logical explanation is she's going to have a four-one baby. So many things. I'm just not even gonna go down those particular rabbit holes. I don't. I don't remember a lot about the nine months when my wife was pregnant, but I don't recall like any. <laughs> you mean your wife didn't turn to a spitter from Jurassic Park and be yeah, like, "Wow!" Didn't, didn't spit holy venom. 
I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, I don't have kids. I don't know what that looks like. Like, do you all get neck bends? <laughs> Shit. Okay, I Suppose just it's... might have broke the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and if it was yeah, a sexy, fun. Justin would have sensed it. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I, That's yeah, I would have picked up on that You're real not quick. wrong. <laughs> I would have been like, that shit was hot. So, Justin, your questions and predictions. Okay. Um, so, why haven't we heard from Bureau 13 lately, is one thing I'm wondering. Like, there was a, a kind of an arc where we kind of got to see kind of the female agent that was, like, experimenting with telepaths and stuff like that. And we kind of got a little bit of information from from Sheridan when he first started talking about his conspiracy theories and he's been following them for years. And then we just haven't really heard much from them lately. Um, so I assume that they're involved in the whole Clark thing, but I'm kind of wondering what they're up to. Um, wondering if we're going to hear from them anymore. Um, then are we going to get giant space Muppets as a first one? Because I kind of want that at this point. Yeah, just like a giant space puppet, kind of like not giant be, Grimace. Not to be confused with a meat puppet, which our listeners clearly do not like we, the way we've Which been we using. found out. Yeah, we, <laughs> we we found out we were wrong about that, and we're, we're not sorry at all. But like, much, like, um, much like Earth Alliance, we rewrote band, the, the definition. Yeah. But yeah, just like a giant Muppet for a first one, I think I would really much enjoy. Um, and then does Masante come back? Not. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if she'll come back or not. Um, I kind of hope she doesn't come back because I'm tired of being both angry and aroused at the same time. <laughs> That's not a good feeling. <laughs> but Blake is not even fucking amused by your shit anymore. Nothing I say shocks Blake anymore. No, That's not really. Fine. 20 some years later and we're still yeah. fuck I'm I still find it funny so fuck it. And then um so but then going into predictions I think if not her I think we will still see a, see a political officer back. I wouldn't be shocked to see her back because uh Zach specifically told her about the about the code 7R. And so now Zach so now there's a little bit of trickling of the of the conspiracy that's going to start coming out. So I think we're going to see her, if not her, there'll definitely be another political officer causing shit on Babylon 5. My next prediction, because they had to send that Clark video to Haig, and even in the meeting, she said that coming up, there's going to be a purge of government officials that they don't deem loyal enough. And I think, I even talked about this, predicted this a long time ago, Haig's going to get got. I think somehow they're going to trace that video back to Haig and Haig's going to go away. And you're going to start to see the cost of uh, being part of this conspiracy. And then I think for my last prediction, um, I think that the I think Jakar will eventually join the inner circle and will become a big, very, very important part of the war against the shadows. OK, I think that covers. Did I get everybody for questions and predictions? Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. So now that we have everybody's questions and predictions, we are going to get ready to throw our newbies back out the airlock, and Mike, Kevin, and I will stick around and go over all of your questions and predictions, and we're also going to discuss some of those pieces you may have missed in the episode, but we didn't want to necessarily bring up to avoid spoilers or going into spoiler territory. If you've not watched past Voices of Authority, now would be the time for you to hop off the podcast as well as our newbies. 
If you do not care about spoilers, continue to listen after the break, and you will get to hear all of our behind-the-scenes commentary about the questions and predictions. Again, I am Blake, and with me tonight has been... Jesse. Kevin. Justin. Mike. Emily. And Andrew. All right, thank you for joining us. Now let's get the hell out of here, newbies. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Have you Bye. guys, if you guys went back and watched this again? <laughs> I've been rewatching season one. If, right. So like the very first episode, Jakar is a absolute asshat to Londo and talks about watching the, you know, kids play with bones and shit. Yeah, I found I found it very interesting. We also didn't bother to mention that these were the aliens that attacked Catherine Sigma nine five seven. Oh, yeah, mine more is the episode you're looking. Yeah, very much. Interesting. So. We should have said that. Someone brought that, that up to earlier. Us. I'm like, oh yeah, forgot to uh, toss that little nugget in there. So, just, hey, Scott, want to edit it in? Let's say, just because, Scott, you love that, please take that, drop it in where appropriate. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Love you. <laughs> Sorry, Enjoy Scott, your cruise. about everything else. <laughs> just, wait, just wait for the hell that is your editing when you get back. No shit. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. All right, and welcome back, everybody, to Beyond the Rim. I am Blake, and with me is... Kevin. And Mike. And this is your last warning. If you have not watched past Voices of Authority and do not want to have spoilers, go ahead and jump off this episode now and come back later once you are ready to hear all of the spoilers and discussion that we're going to have. So, guys, one of the things we've heard from fans every now and then when we do these episodes is sometimes our newbies forget to catch things or we don't get to things in the discussion. And a lot of times we don't prompt those things, right? Because we don't want to give any spoilers or tip hands to certain uh, plot points that may come up. So we we let the discussion go pretty organically. This episode has a couple of those. Uh, first one I want to start with is let's talk about the first ones for a minute because there's a couple pieces around the first ones. They mentioned, you know, a Crash Bandicoot character, but... Looking at even the shape of like the wooden mask and some of the uh, totems from native culture, I'm surprised none of them made a connection around where the Vorlons the only ones to have visited or influenced Earth or other cultures. Mm-hmm. There's also the voice. They didn't say anything because we've, we've usually got them trying to figure out voices and they didn't say anything about the actual voice uh, who was voiced by Kosh on this one. The same mm-hmm. uh, actor who does Kosh did the 
uh, first ones in this episode. So yeah, and Ardrey Chamberlain has a pretty fairly distinctive voice. I was surprised they didn't pick up on that either, especially because we were we we had kind of chatted about it uh, a little bit, and you kind of alluded to that um, in a in a small group discussion. So. I thought maybe Emily especially might pick up on that, but they they didn't or didn't mention it. Although she she did mention after she, after we jumped off that uh, she forgot to bring up this whole this whole subject. So I'm sure she had a little bit more to say. You know the 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 shadows. You know, and the the first ones, the the Vorlons. You know, they they all have history. They've all fought before. They've all. Um, you know, butted heads here and there, and they all have you know pretty different ideas about how the the universe is supposed to be to be run, and you know that that typically comes to a head with the shadows and the Vorlons. You know, every every you know thousand years or so, but it it's really um, it's really an interesting concept that they've continued from Mind War, and that is going to you know culminate with. Uh, Lorianne uh, making his debut at the end of the end of the season. Yeah, this is where I was kind of. I didn't want to give away too much, but I wanted to get their their pulse on, you know, kind of where they where they think the pecking order in the universe is. And it seems as though they're they're all pretty firmly on the page that the shadows and the Vorlons are the oldest of the old, which we believe is correct, and you know just thinking about the fact that well there are these all these other first ones who aren't around anymore so so why did the vorlons stick around why did everyone else decide to take their ball and go home you know and and what is potentially their relationship with the vorlons given the lens spelled out that you know the vorlons that the the first ones fought the shadows alongside you know the vorlons before it seems like the they're depicting the the first ones as pretty pretty non corporeal, um, and that's interesting. That you know they they have a very you know standoff approach to um, to the uh, the corporeal races in the in the universe, whereas you know the the Vorlons and the Shadows clearly have some skin in the game on how they think things should be, and you know they're they're starting finally to get the idea that you know, perhaps the Vorlons are not uh, what they seem to be. And, you know, yes, it was, it was pretty well put on a billboard in this, in this episode, but um, I'm glad that they picked up on that and that they're a little bit more suspicious because, you know, by the end of this, you know, the the Vorlons are going to be in the very same category as the shadows. Yeah. And the last piece to touch on, and again, we've talked a little bit about the increasing role of, Zach Allen um, that he has had and uh, that this character has had. And I think this episode is probably one of his best ones, actually, Uh, seeing him because you can really get the struggle he's having and the conflict he's having with Nightwatch. And they kind of touched on it a little bit with the newbies, but I don't think the newbies fully grasp the conflict that Zach is having between Nightwatch and loyalty to Garibaldi or Babylon 5. And I, for me, this episode drives it home because you've got how many times throughout the episode he's talking about his jacket's not comfortable. It doesn't fit, right? He's not. I think that's, you know, just another way of trying to portray this character is not fitting in and he's not real sure where he's supposed to be at. Yeah, I think there's kind of, there's something to this where, you know, forgive me for dwelling on the current political climate, but it's like, 
it harkens back to a time when things weren't so divisive and there was a man in the middle who looked at both sides and said well i don't like what they're doing but i also don't like what the other side's doing either and and so i don't really know who the good guy is here you know i maybe i have a gut feeling one way but you know it's not it's not so easy for zach to just immediately throw down on one side well and i think it's clear that you know he knows that some of this stuff is pretty extreme and that he's not at all convinced that it's necessary or proper but he doesn't really see a way out but we we all know because we've seen the show he's he's going to decide that this is not the way that he personally wants to go and he's even going to completely betray them you know at the end so that they can put the narns in charge of security and that um, they're going to completely cast away anyone from Nightwatch that doesn't decide to take off the armband, um, you know, in just a few episodes. It's, it actually, it surprised me that they were all looking for Zach to do his, his heel turn already, as yeah. if they aren't used to watching serialized TV and seeing how things get worse before they get better. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't be interesting if it happened no. at all. He hasn't done anything questionable at this point until maybe the very end when he more or less confirms to Julie Massant that there are there are secret codes and secret meetings happening. We didn't even really confirm it. He just said he had heard it somewhere. Yeah, but I think to her that's enough to go on, you know, as if as if she hadn't already maybe observed something along those lines herself, you know. But yeah, that could have been the code for whore in the captain's quarters. It's true. The newbies touched on President Clark and whether or not Clark is a puppet or really the mastermind. And, you know, I look at Clark a little bit like Londo, that he is someone that Morden approached with that question of what do you want? And Clark's answer was, I want Santiago gone. And I think that gave the shadows kind of that opening into how to break up the Earth government and throw Earth off its game so it wouldn't pose a threat. So I agree in a way Clark is not necessarily the mastermind but he thinks he is yeah i mean i don't necessarily think clark has any galactic ambitions i think he wants control of the earth government yeah and and he's willing to accept whatever to get it he thinks he might be the mastermind but he's clearly not yeah he's definitely got people pulling the strings around him uh that that are definitely far more in charge of things than what he is yeah, and it actually really surprised me. And I know you and I had a sidebar during the meeting about it that I thought it was, and I think Kevin did too, that it was dead obvious that he was oh, yeah. talking to Mr. Morden and that they all kind of glassed over that at first. I thought they would for sure jump on that point. Yeah, that, that shocked me that not a one of them. Well, and it's funny. So when we were on last night, Emily asked if they guessed, would we tell them if they were right or not? And Kevin and I both said, you know, if you guess right, we'll tell you. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> we're sitting there going, and nobody's got it. Yeah, but it's like, man, you know, to me, the implications of that versus it being Bester are, are so much bigger Yeah, in the grand scheme of things. Well, I, I don't get the Bester guess because, sorry, Justin, I don't understand the Bester guess because Walter Koenig has a very distinctive voice as Bester. Yeah, he needs to fix the audio on his TV. Yeah, if, if he got better out of that, boy needs to go take his headphones and get them checked. Okay, so let's jump into our questions and predictions. And it sounds like we've got some questions around Vorlons and first ones. So first up is, are we going to see Space Muppets? <laughs> no, we, we, we do not get to see Space Muppets. We will nothing, see some other first ones, though. Nothing that bad. They will not be Space Muppets. 
they do an interesting job of trying to make at least some of the first ones look very otherworldly and not like your Star Trek race of the week. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, nothing, nothing that campy. Yeah. I, I, I kind of liked the design that they used in this episode. The next mm-hmm. question is, are the Vorlons really the good guys? And what did they do to tick off the first ones? I think they think they're the good guys. It's the million dollar question, isn't it? I think given the choice between them and the shadows, they're probably the good-ish guys, (laughs) but definitely not super altruistic. Well, I think uh, that's the, both the shadows and the Vorlons ultimately come down to control. It's just how they get there. Yeah. One one does so through chaos and the other, other does it through order and manipulation and manipulations and i think ultimately that's what we see when you know we have that line from sheridan later now get the hell out of our galaxy when the younger races stand up and tell these older races to get the fuck out and let us do it which and again this is kind of where i was going with my question about the first ones is is and their relation to the vorlons because it is interesting that the vorlons are the guys that have stuck around the vorlons in the shadows the oldest they're not willing to leave at this point but you've apparently had these other races who have participated in the light versus dark war for who knows how long to the point that they got sick of it and either got obliterated or moved on and justin also asked when are we going to see more vorlons and first ones and it's going to take a little while um i think it's even next season before we we uh, have any more movement on that but you know, you're not going to enjoy the next Vorlon you see. And we've talked about that beyond the room a couple of times. He's uh, he's not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. And as far as first ones go, other than Lorien, um, you know, they they touch on that later on, too. But, um, you know, the, these are these are all older races. They think they know better. And they like you said blake they they get told to get out yeah which again I, you know the first ones apparently did not do that they did not have have a, a footing or the resolve or whatever you want to call it to, to be the ones to tell mm-hmm. the morlons to take a hike but they decided to take a hike instead it seems well i think it came out later that the vorlons that's why i was trying to look up real quick because i think the vorlons were one of the younger of the first one races and them in the shadows stayed behind to kind of allegedly keep an eye on the younger races. And and wonderful job they're doing of it, too. They're great parents. <laughs> so um, then we've got what is the root cause of the fighting, which I think yeah. we kind of touched on. It, it's For a sure. difference in philosophy, and, it, and it's the two questions, really. Uh, you've got what do you want and who are you? And that get you've got to two diametrically different philosophies between the shadows and the warlords and how they want to influence the younger races. And who knows? I don't think we ever discuss how it starts, but how it ends is they, they finally end the conflict once and for all the first ones welcome the shadows and the warlords to go with them beyond the rim and they leave the galaxy. Now you'll have the bits and pieces left over from the various allies that'll cause problems later on. Yeah. Well, and after they get told to get out, then, you know, earth and, particularly the the centauri you know on on another uh aspect they're they're both going to have their own separate problems to be dealing with and the narn are going to be rebuilding uh, even internal struggles with the minbari so you know it's not as if uh, the you know the the five plus races not including i guess four plus races not including the the vorons and the shadows 
um, really know how to do things. But, you know, the the shadow and the Vorlon way certainly isn't working. It's tearing the tearing the universe apart every thousand years. All right. So how many first ones will end up helping? A few. I don't think we ever get an exact count, but they do have some of the first ones that jump in. Obviously, the most important one being Lorianne. Yep. I mean, you want to talk about a good guy, at least, you know, at least he is. Um, first one, whatever their motivation is, yes, they do jump in at the right time. But, um, you know, Lorianne sticks around for quite some time um, to help out Sheridan, even even after he saves his life. Tick and tock. So will we see Julie Masanti or another political officer again? And one of the newbies predicted that we would see at least another political officer, if not her again. So we we see neither because nope. they're they about stay with Earth that long. Yeah, they're about to break away, and when they end up uh, fixing the uh, Shadow and Vorlon problem, they get back to the Earth problem and have a whole war about it. So, yeah, Sheridan wasn't about to have to deal with that that particular problem again. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, what we'll find out is after Proxima and Mars break away that when General Higgs forces get to B5, Earth's already got ships on the way to arrest and replace the command staff. Yeah. So somewhere they've been tipped off and had information that there may be shenanigans going on with the B5 command staff or have suspicions of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, So they're looking to install loyalists. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why Julie was there in the first place was because, you know, she's feeling them out. Even if even if they're not bad people, they're not yes people enough. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. one of the greatest B five outtakes will come from that episode. <laughs> I don't actually know the answer to this, but I'd be really interested to know, you know, what other what other countries, you know, around the world have political officers because I, you know, I only know of one specific one, and it's not exactly a uh, uh, you know shining beacon of uh, of an example. But um, a lot I, of the be- Soviet republics did. Yeah, right. This is what I'm saying. You know, the the Russians have have dealt with that quite a bit, but I, I I'd be interested to see what others have have done. That my guess is it it might be uh, heavily weighted to commun former former and current communist uh, countries. Well, and I mean, in a way, and if you want to think about it, though, even if they don't call them a political officer, how many military units have a public affairs officer? True. And while not necessarily the same thing, I mean, there are similarities when it comes to spin and information that's put out. Right. So is Lita pregnant by the Vorlons? Is there a baby on the way? No. And why does she have neck vents? Well, she can breathe in the atmosphere. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Kosh is sending her out to see and hear things and to have some sort of experience of some sort. And then when she comes back, he's essentially taking or or borrowing those experiences from her in some way. Well, and as we'll find out later with Kosh, when they take out Kosh too, is there's a portion of Kosh 1 left. Right. Probably, you know, dug in very slowly over this whole period of time, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, the Neckvents thing is weird and probably overall unnecessary, but, you know, I think it's misdirected a few people in in an unusual, unintended way. (laughs) Well, I don't think it ever really gets explored either. I think it might have been an idea that just kind of got abandoned. Right. It's just like she went to the Warlord homeworld and they don't have breather masks, so this is what they did (laughs) to solve that problem. 
the end. Which, speaking of things that never went anywhere, <laughs> why haven't we heard from Bureau 13 lately? Justin, because it was one fucking episode. We talked about before that, you know, there was there was a tabletop game of some sort, you know, with that same name, and they had to completely abandon the name, but they also for the most part abandon the whole the whole story plot and yeah. just let it by the wayside but man it's it's got some legs with our our conspiracy loving friend justin he's hellbent that's gonna come back so let's get into our predictions zach will completely align with Nightwatch, and that will create a redemption arc short though it is that is true i would say he never even completely aligns with Nightwatch. i think he yeah he never he never really yeah you're right he never really goes all all the way in but he goes in enough to where you know Sheridan and Garibaldi don't really trust him and but then you know when the chips are down they ask him to to do the right thing and he and he absolutely does he he's not always sure about it but he he ends up doing the right thing in the end for sure and then general hig will be found out and will be taken out well he'll be taken out but not for that reason. Yeah. His agent booked him on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so we do not see William Hague back on Babylon 5. But I mean, when the when the Civil War kind of, you know, breaks out, you know, he he's on he's on the side that, uh, you know, initially gets wiped out until the, the end of the Shadow War when Sheridan's got an entire fleet of White Stars that he can bring to bear along mm-hmm. with the remnants of the, you know, the... Uh, um the rebels i guess for lack of a better term <laughs> yeah and jakar will eventually join the inner circle and become an important part of the war against the shadows yep yep, yep. and that's why i didn't want to give too much away on that when andrew asked that question about the book of jaquan um so that's why i thought about for before i phrased it the way i did with you know thinking about giving someone the bible and telling them just to read one verse but you know, Jakar becomes a very important figure because once they figure out what Jakar knows, but, you know, they mentioned that scene where Delenn kind of stops and pauses. I'm curious to have them come back and watch this episode after we get to the one where Delenn confesses to Jakar what they knew and when. Yeah. Because I think Mira Furlan's playing that perfectly now. She knows what they did. She knows they condemned the Narn at this point and she's she's horrified by it but she didn't feel like she had a choice but she's very uncomfortable around him and it's heartbreaking because Mm -hmm. you know as a viewer you know that she she doesn't hold him ill will which is why you know i i kind of piped up a little bit when jesse was talking about it but you know it um it, it it yeah you're absolutely right Blake. it has nothing to do with you know, Jakar really, other than, you know, it's guilt. Yeah. You know, and it is interesting. I was thinking about this the other day that uh, you know, up until this point, um, all of the ambassadors, at least the, the top, you know, the top five, <laughs> uh, they have, they have relationships with one another. Uh, they're maybe not friends, but they're definitely, you know, office mates. Right. And, and so it is, it isn't like, you know, Delenn very impersonal is, is capable of being very impersonal with Jakar. Like whether they're friends or not, I don't know, but there, there have been times, you know, when Jakar has, has talked to her and said, you know, oh, I, I miss our little chats and things like of that nature. And it's like, yeah, it's because they do have a, a, 
a certain level of kinship with one another just leading up to this point and it's only gotten more complicated by events that have unfolded that's why i like that line from delenn so much is that you know oh we don't talk anymore and she's like i don't i don't think we really ever talked like yeah we had conversations but it's not like we ever got you know deep and we ever truly understood each other because he's he's a pretty not understandable guy at this part in the series you know he's he's pretty far down the 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 hole and it's going to take him the entire series to even claw himself up a couple more a couple more inches all right is there anything else we want to talk about for our newbies, our discussion on Voices of Authority. I think we're good. All right, seeing none, we will be back next week where we will discuss the episode Dust to Dust with our newbies and get their thoughts on that one as we continue our run through Season 3 of Babylon 5. Again, my name is Blake, and with me has been... Kevin. Yeah, Mike. Scott, have fun editing this shit show. <laughs> he hates me. They all hate me. They're doing this to make me crazy.